Hello and welcome to Karen Conversations where we're about to talk about motherhood and the fourth trimester. Care Plus Pharmacy presents Care and Conversations, a podcast for new parents hosted by mom and brand director Leanne Highland. On this podcast, we want to help you through the scary firsts of parenting and newborn life, bringing you practical advice from the people that know. Hold on tight and enjoy the journey. We've got you. Hello and welcome to Karen Conversations podcast. Today's episode is all about motherhood and exploring the fourth trimester. Just when you thought you'd reach the finish line of pregnancy, you'll discover there's one more trimester to get through. We're talking about the fourth trimester, a period of significant physical, mental and emotional development for your baby. But it's also a time of change for new moms too. Ever hear of the saying, when a baby is born, so is a mother? To talk to us about how we can help expectant mums to prepare for motherhood and to navigate some of the challenges that might arise during the fourth trimester is the lovely Leila O'Mara. Leila is a busy mum of three, a qualified postpartum doula, an acupuncturist, a mattress facilitator and founder of Nua Nua, a community and space to take care of the people who make the people. I'm so interested in this topic and really excited to jump into this conversation. Leila, welcome to the show. I'm delighted to get to chat to you today. Hi, Leanne. Lovely to be here. So, Leila, I'm just going to ask you to talk a little bit about what led you into the world of mattresses and the fourth trimester, because it's certainly a word I never heard about when I gave birth to my daughter. And now looking back, I actually think it'd be really important for me to have known that information. Sure. So I, I think like um, most mothers, I came to the to the word and to the whole area and to the work I do through my own experience. So I'm a mum of three. My eldest is 10. And I suppose I was really searching increasingly so with each child, if I'm really honest. Um, and it came to a head at the after the birth of my third child, which was quite a tricky pregnancy and, and, and premature birth and all of that. But I was really searching, I suppose, for any explanation at all as to, to why I was feeling the way I was, you know, which was really quite utterly changed by the experience of motherhood in a profoundly amazing way, but also a very unsettling way, you know, and I held both of those things with equal weight, I suppose. And I, I, I didn't see that being discussed, you know, um, so I felt quite at sea. I felt quite overwhelmed. I was quite frustrated while also loving being with my kids. I was confused by all of that. And I guess I felt quite isolated and, and alone with that because everything I saw out in the world was, this is great. Aren't you lucky? Your babies are healthy, blah, blah, blah. So I was really thirsty, I suppose, for some form of explanation for what was going on in my own body, which felt like a very different country to the body I had you know a different different body to what I had <laughs> pre-children and um, what was going on in my mind you know I was thinking different things I had a different perspectives on things and then in my I suppose my spirit you know what was important to me now what were my priorities all of that had shifted and I didn't know what to do with that I, I couldn't I didn't have a 
uh, anything to 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 guide me through that. Um, so I suppose I was really following a crumb trail of information, which took me to the work as a postpartum doula, um, and that led me to other teachers and trailblazers, I suppose, in this area, um, and eventually hit on this word matrescence and. I've heard so many women describe it this way, but it was like this light bulb moment of just the world lighting up and everything kind of aligning somehow because I suddenly felt, okay, I have some validation for what I'm experiencing here. I have a language for it. I have a roadmap um, for it and an explanation for what I'm experiencing. Yeah. One of the women who's responsible for bringing the, the word to us, um, Dr. Aurelia Than, says words create worlds. And without those words, we don't have a reference for the world that we're now in. The other part of your question was what is matrescence? You know, I've, I've touched on that this is a word, but um, it, it, an easy way to, to understand it, I suppose, is to, to compare it to adolescence. So matrescence, you know, I when I type it into my word doc, it still has a red line under it. It's a very new word. It's just been recognized into the Oxford Dictionary in this year. So it's, it's a very, very new word. It's very new. Yeah, yeah. But I suppose the radical transformation that a woman goes through when she becomes a mother. So it's a transformation that affects every aspect of our lives, the physical, um, how our bodies change, how we feel in our bodies, how our bodies are touched, how our bodies are engaged with by these little people that come into our lives on a mental level, an emotional level, an economic level, a spiritual level in terms of, I'd speak as spiritual in terms of what is important to us now, you know, what our priorities are. And so it's a great comparison is that of adolescence. So when we become a teenager, our hormones change vastly, our priorities change, and it takes time. We don't wake up on our 13th birthday and boom, you know, we are an adult. We just know it all. Yeah. And we know it all. Exactly. It's something that takes a journey years. It's a journey. Um, and we're supported in it. And we know now with adolescence how important that support is and that leeway and that trial and error and that, you know, acknowledgement for a teenager that this is something that's going on and that what happens when we support our young people that way is we have these beautiful, you know, strong, you know, dynamic um, young adults that come out the other side of it and the comparison is very similar with motherhood and mm-hmm. um, we need time everything shifts and changes and if we don't have that support what comes out the other end is far more depleted far more overwhelmed um person who's not quite herself uh, versus what can happen which is this radical transformation into a new version of ourselves with I would say superpowers almost, you know, so it is a, a, a beautiful comparison and a helpful one to get our heads around, I think, as well. I agree. I think that's an amazing comparison because, as you said, it's such a new word when you when you look for more information on it. And obviously, you know, you're going into Google like it, you do kind of have to search a bit and you do have to kind of figure, OK, like you really kind of dig deeper into it and I think what you've done there is like you know really really like it's a snapshot and it you just explained it so well and I think it's it's good also Leila like 
to note that this isn't something that only new mum, like you know, your first baby, you're going to experience. This is something on every baby, and and I think that it can look different on every baby, as you said. Like obviously, you, you know, you had three children. Your third one was maybe a little bit more difficult. So you're still gonna. It's like you're going through a rebirth every time you have a child. Mm-hmm. So it's not like it's just figured out in the first one. Would that be fair to say? Yeah, exactly. You're a, yeah, you're a newborn mother every time. Um, and it's not something, you know, we have these six week checkups with the GP and, you know, we're, we're, we're fit for purpose after that or whatever. This is something that takes years, you know, and there's some people, you know, Dr. Rathan would say we're in our matrescence for a season of our lives. You know, it's not um, something that, you know, we're done after 18 months. It's a season of our lives that that shifts and changes. But I would say, you know, I'm still in my matrescence. My youngest will be five in November so you know he's four and a half now it shifts and changes um during that time but I'm still in that process rather than it being something that finished but after I gave birth to my first child you know 10 years ago there's no yeah there's no yeah defined timeline on it yeah that would make sense I'm and I'd say it's I'd say it's different for everybody as well Mm. I'm and then just like as part of what you do, what you do, Leila with Nua Nua, you focus a lot on helping to support mothers navigate matrescence. So, like, what sort of advice do you give moms and how to navigate the ups and downs of this period? Like, do you talk to them before they give birth, or is it something that you do after the baby comes home and you guide them through that period? How does that kind of work? How it works in an ideal world and how it works um, in the world that we live in is two different things, I think. <laughs> you know, and I do offer a support course called the the Feel Guide, which is is uh, for pregnant women to explain that this is something that we're going into and to explain the value of a fourth trimester, which you mentioned um, at at the outset of this. You know, the value of giving us this time to recover after the physical labor of birth and the help that that contributes to our our ability to deal with our matrescence and to deal with this transition into motherhood. And as part of that, we touch on on matrescence and what that is. I think both the nature of it being so hard to imagine what is going to happen when we become a mother uh, for a first time mother and also the nature of the society we live in that doesn't really put any weight on that transition at all. A lot of the work that I end up doing is with mothers who are struggling in their matrescence. So um, I do both. And I would say I really get my sleeves rolled up and focus on the, the afterbirth part of it. But there is such deep value in spending some time just exploring what matrescence is, knowing that it's going to be something that will take time and that you it's okay to shift and change. Mm-hmm. And so if you were listening to this and are pregnant and even just knew that, I think there's such value and gift in it because a lot of what I'm doing is is working with women just not realizing, oh my gosh, I never knew if only I knew that things were going to be so different. So yeah, in short, a little bit of both, but uh, ending up with the second half of it. And in terms of advice, <laughs> it's a huge one. I could only imagine. <laughs> yeah. But I think to zoom back from it, 
uh, is a really helpful space to begin. Um, you know, we can drop into the minutiae of here's something you can do and here's a tip and here's things, you know, all of that. But zooming out a little bit, I think, is where I always begin with mums. And my own trainer, um, Amy Taylor Cabaz, um, really focuses on this as well. Mm-hmm. And just looking at our experiences and looking at ourselves with far more compassion and tenderness and kindness, which sounds very simple and basic, but we end up being so, so, so hard on ourselves as mothers. We put so much pressure on ourselves to do everything all at once. We're trying to juggle 101 balls. We have careers. We have, we're trying to create this perfect world for our children. We're trying to stay fit. We're trying to meditate. We're trying to cook dinner. We're trying to do school runs. And we put so much pressure on ourselves. And that should list, which is always this kind of flashing like danger word, is is so long. (laughs) So I, I think beginning with working on that, and that can take a long time to really sink in, just really speaking to ourselves with kindness and compassion. And then understanding also the idea of matrescence is where I, I do a lot of work with mums and, and understanding that actually we're trying to mother and parent in a context that is really not set up for us um, and is not set up to support us in so many ways. So the job we're doing is made so much harder and understanding that and it's that it's not us as individuals that are failing but probably a system that doesn't offer community we don't have a village anymore we're being asked to be superwoman basically um is just such a relief on the nervous system I think to just hear that and go what you're doing is damn hard because of the context and then we begin from there I agree because I think that um, people can kind of, especially, you know, when you think about mums coming home and, and you know, and all the visitors are gone and it's just you and baby, you know, maybe your partner's gone back to work and then you kind of spend your time maybe sp- like on Instagram looking at all of these kind of edited, filtered images of what like having a new baby, sh- you know, should be or having the perfect life. And I think that probably... If you're doing that at four o'clock in the morning, you haven't slept in days, like I could, even as you said, even though it's it's kind of a simple thing to, you know, to be kind to yourself. I just think there's so many things that are around us in our society that kind of put that pressure on and, and, you know, it makes it harder for us to kind of take it back and then go easy on ourselves if we haven't washed our hair in five days or whatever it might be. So I, I think it's, it's so true. I think it's so nice to be able to get for, for women to understand this, especially going into the journey, you know, to be kind, because I just think we are so um, hard on ourselves. And Leila, you just kind of mentioned there as well that a lot of the time in the work you do, you do get to obviously work with a lot of women who are unfortunately are in this kind of see period of their lives where they're meeting some challenges. And I would imagine like this is the physical healing and the recovery, but you know, there's obviously emotions and hormones to navigate there. So are most of the common issues around emotions and feelings or is there a physical element as well that you'd be working on? I think there's almost always a physical element, but for me, a lot of those physical elements are manifestations of uh, an emotional experience. Um, So some of them you can draw, you know, sleep, for example, has an impact on our, it's a circle as well, you know, sleep has an impact on our mental health and, and that type of thing as well. But I think a lot of it comes from, 
an emotional experience or, you know, where we're at. And like I said, trying to do so much with so little support. So unfortunately, I see a lot of post-birth trauma and almost PTSD, depression, that type of thing as a result of a birth experience. So there's that that we're working through. And then just the, the juggle of modern life, you know, the overwhelm of that. A lot of us are experiencing, and I do say us because I've certainly been in this space and still work with it myself, is this combination of of an anxiety of trying to keep all of those balls in the air and then a hyper everything. So a hyper vigilance, hyper perfectionism, hyper productivity, all of that, which is a trauma response in many ways to trying to keep everything up in the air and feeling, you know, where if we go back to kind of a very primal version of that and fight or flight and, you know, our nervous systems, we are feeling under threat and we're trying to protect ourselves and trying to protect our our brood. And so we go into hyper everything mode. So there's a lot of that that manifests. And then if you think of, you know, you're asking about physical, if we think of where that ends up, it's a lot of people with tension headaches, a lot of people with anxiety, a lot of people with sleep issues, digestive issues, you know, all of that. So in the acupuncture work I do, I might have somebody who comes because they can't sleep or they have a migraine or they have IBS or whatever. But very quickly we realize actually we're, this is where we're at, you know, and, and dealing with that you know, we don't really need to attend to the the physical issues almost because they resolve themselves when we get back to that route. That sounds like such a supportive environment. And it's so great that it's kind of being looked at in a, you know, in a quite a, a serious way, because I think, and I think I'm just even thinking back to my experience. And, and when I really, really look back now, after kind of really looking into this, I actually think sleep deprivation really kind of affected me a lot more than I actually presumed it did. I I don't know whether, like when I think back now to everything, it's like this skin change, hair. I'm just talking about some of the simple things, but that you, like definitely there were changes that when I only look back now, I can kind of relate it back to something. I, I thought it was just aging, but I actually think it was just so depleted on every level from not sleeping for such a long time, breastfeeding and constantly like giving, 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 that it was, it definitely did manifest itself in a physical way. And it's only when you kind of stop and you think, oh God, what do I need to do to kind of maybe, you know, counteract this depletion by, you know, obviously nurturing myself a bit more that, you know, everything starts to improve, the hair starts to improve, skin or whatever, little things. So yeah, no, it's it's so true. And, and when you talk about sleep deprivation, because this is, I think this is kind of really, really interesting when I read a lot about this. And people say, well, like, if I can't, if my baby's not sleeping, I'm not sleeping. So there's really no hope for me here. Like, I just don't have, you know, and that's the thing. Like, is there anything that you'd say to a mom in in that instance to kind of help her if she's saying, you know, you know, if she's like, well, my baby is awake a lot at night and there's not a whole lot I can do? Mm, For sure. And I think to begin from the space of saying it's so hard, you know, it really is. I, I come from a place of having had a baby who slept only for two hours for the first four years of his life. So I know, I know, 
<laughs> it's like he he was he was not a sleeper. <laughs> so I know. Um, so it, it's 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 damn damn hard. So beginning there, and I oh, I can't remember the figure, but either way, it's scary. It's four. I'm doubling now in my guess, but I think it's either four or seven hundred hours of sleep that we lose in the first year of, of, of motherhood, you know, so let's go with the lower figure. Let's go with the 400 and then multiply by, by a few years. It's massive. Um, so that's the first piece of it. The second piece of it is just looking at, okay, this is you and a tiny baby who needs you an awful lot of the time, but knowing, and this is not always easy for everybody but I think there's two pieces to it sometimes we feel that we should be doing everything for that baby I know that I certainly felt that at the time and that I needed to be there and that my husband needed to be in the room with me to support me so we were both sleepless and we it was just we didn't navigate it very smartly but just knowing that it's not meant to be just you doing this and that from an evolutionary perspective, from an anthropological perspective, it's very clear that it's only very recently that we have been mothering in such a capsule and we're meant to have more support and more help. So yeah, looking at how we can build a village of support around us while we're struggling with that sleep so we can, you know, look at, at, at simple ways of, of getting a night's sleep, perhaps, or not even a night's sleep. That's probably a bit of a stretch for anybody, but getting four hours sleep, for example, by seeing if we can get support from our, our partners. I know that for me was a very big challenge because I felt I needed to be the one I was breastfeeding him he was very attached to me and I had a huge amount of guilt at handing the baby over to even to his his father so there's that piece of it of just knowing that we're not supposed to be doing this on our own and that really we thrive like you were saying earlier you know when we start to nourish ourselves we get healthier and we're able to give back to our our babies more so there's that piece of it there's also a piece looking at what we're doing with our time and this is it's not sexy it's not fun but looking at really okay for the next two years I'm going to need to drop some stuff here and I'm going to need to prioritize because sleep deprivation you know, it's used as a form of torture. It affects everything. It affects our physical lives. It affects our mental lives. So we really need to prioritize that in ways that is, I know we need that time in the evenings for ourselves and to feel like ourselves, but perhaps we need to not scroll the phone or watch the Netflix program. And I know that that's a hard thing to hear, but go to bed with the baby at 8 8 p.m., But then we need to look at where the balance is. How can I find that moment for myself in another time of the day? But maybe evening isn't the time for that. And and they're not fun conversations to have, but but really prioritizing that. And then looking at at micro-napping, which is a really, really beneficial thing to do. I know some people say, I can't sleep during the day. It's impossible for me to do it. And I have 101 things I need to do. I need to do the washing. I need to get the dinner on. I need to to do that. (laughs) I hear you and I know it. But also this idea of of micro-napping. And then some people also say, you know, if I sleep during the day, I can't sleep at night. But with micro-napping, we're only ever touching sleep. Okay. So we're only ever getting to the very edge of it. And you can do that 
three, four, five times a day. And it really helps your body to top up enough that we can keep going and bring the nervous system out of that fight or flight space. So 20 minutes, set your alarm and get up after that. You know, don't sleep for the three hours with the baby. Oh, imagine if you had a baby who slept for three hours during the day. Sounds like the dream. Two hours is a dream. <laughs> um, but, you know, do 20 minutes of really deep rest and then get up. And if you need to find ways of getting your body out of that nervous system space where you can't do that, work towards that, you know, or listen to something just helping you to drop down out of that space. And I think knowing it's only 20 minutes is quite helpful as well when we know, but I need to do the washing, I need to put out the dirty nappies, I need to do all of those things. And so micro-napping is hugely useful. And the perfectionism piece, I know for me too, was a really big one. You know, I need to have all of this stuff in line for the next bit of the day. I need to tidy, I need to do all these things. And I prioritise all of that over rest. And even if we don't sleep, rest, like deep rest and not looking at our phone rest. Mm -hmm. You know, this is rest um, for our eyes, for our brains, for our bodies. So none of it is fun, uh, you know, um, on one level. But if we look on it as a really nourishing thing. And then there's some supplements. Ashwagandha is a really wonderful supplement that you can. um, It's an adaptogenic herb, so really works on helping your body how it how it responds to stress and so will help you manage your response to stress to to sleep deprivation during the day as well and is safe during pregnancy and safe during uh, breastfeeding I, I base that advice on Dr Oscar Serilac's advice who is the kind of founder of this whole area of postnatal depletion so I would I would put great stead in that um, and it's a wonderful herb so that's something physical and practical you could take as well. I've heard a lot about ashwagandha. I've used it a few times. Not consistently for sure, but it's all—it's always on my to-do list. I'm like, I need to get onto that. Are there other things that like, I'm just thinking on the top of my head, like what, I, what we see in pharmacy. So like magnesium has always been one that's kind of recommended in terms of obviously like the kind of stress side. Would it be worth even maybe talking to a pharmacy and seeing if there's anything, you know, on shelf that could kind of help in that way? Yeah, like I think, you know, I'm not a nutritionist. um, So just to to speak with that um, or a dietitian to speak with that caveat, but looking at micro and macro nutrients, particularly micronutrients, I think we end up depleting things, you know, through breastfeeding, through lack of sleep, through stress is a huge depleter on our, our nutritional baseline. So, yeah, iron is a big one. Zinc, magnesium, vitamin. Iron for sure. Yeah, Yeah. iron is huge. B12, vitamin D, omega-3s. A breastfeeding supplement, even if you're not breastfeeding, has a lot of those in it. So a good good one to take, perhaps. Or uh, even a pregnancy um, supplement often has those and they're still safe to take after, after birth. And then also looking at at our food, and I think our food is a really important one because we can integrate into that a slowing down and a a nourishing of ourselves. You know, we end up with the crusts of the toast and we end up with the leftover baked beans or whatever it is. We do. Um, And the cold coffee. 
and the cold coffee. <laughs> and, you know, it's, it's really a way of, and again, I know how hard this is with the juggle of everything, but really looking at how can I get really good food into me, you know, and bone broth is a really wonderful one with a lot of what we've spoken about there. I know, and I come from a place of having been a vegan and having been a vegetarian, I'm no longer either. I find meat challenging to eat sometimes, but have really noticed the difference in my own system when I do take it in. It's, it's like, think of yourself as a convalescent back in the 50s and you had somebody cooking you loads of really good, hearty, fat-filled, you know, Food. stews. Yeah. Fat-filled, and yeah. That's what you want. You want lots of fat. It's not a time for a diet. In, an, in Ayurvedic medicine, we say the foods need to be oily. They need to be sweet. They need to be moist. So, you know, it's, it's loads of fat is the oily bit. Sweet is... Things like slow roasted root vegetables rather than Smarties, but you know, um, slow release sugars like <laughs> like um, maple syrup or coconut sugar, all of that stuff. If you can find a way of getting love into that food and eating it, it has much more benefits than just you know the food. And the supplements are important to boost that. But I think any of these things that are supplements, you know the the clue is in the word. They're supplementing something, but we need to have the baseline there in the first place. And that's food, sleep and rest. If it's a choice between sleeping for an hour and driving to the shop to get a supplement, sleep for the hour. You know, <laughs> that's a, maybe a literal um, <laughs> example. But, you know, try and really get those baselines there. And then, yeah, have a chat to your pharmacist, have a chat to your GP and see if there's something product-wise that might touch all of those bases for you for sure. Yeah, I think you're I think you're so right. The foundation is something that we always seem to overlook and you're yeah, 100% it's the you know the the crumbs that we end up with. And what I found in my journey was that if I allowed myself to basically overlook the nutrition side of things, the food that it would impact my impact breastfeeding because I'd feel like it, that became a little bit more difficult. Whereas I know on the days that I was really, really kind of very focused on making sure that I was eating well, breastfeeding became easier. I definitely had way more energy. Now, it is an effort, and but it's one of those things that you... If, if anyone offers you, and I think even my, my husband would even say it to me, like the greatest gift that we got when people were coming to see our new baby was like a home cooked meal, mm. because that's what we lived on. Like we'd people come here with lasagnas or stews or whatever it is. I have to say they were saviors because it was just, it's, it's the little things you never think about food, for, obviously for the baby you do, but never for yourself. But then even, you know, when you go further along in your journey, like, you know, it doesn't stop there because that book that you mentioned and what we might do, um, Leila, is actually link it in the show notes because yeah. I thought that the, the postnatal depletion book was a game changer for me. Mm. I read that. I couldn't get enough of that book and it was like a penny dropping. Everything just made sense. And I got that book probably around nine months after, I, you know, postpartum. And the way it was laid out in such simple terms that, you know, you really are depleted in your micronutrients, your macronutrients, and it's all of the obvious things that you would imagine, but you don't, th you don't ever think about it until you're reading this book. And then there's simple solutions on how you start, how, you know, with the foundations, the food, you start to build that back up. If you're doing your supplementation, your rest, and it's like these really basic pillars 
but actually are game changers. And I would absolutely say to any any you know new mom or whatever to read that book because I just think it's it's such really good information it's you know that you should have and the other thing as well which you touched on a lot there was basically you know the idea being that maybe your circle and your support network is is key and um, so if that's a partner friends family do you find that women are are a little bit hesitant to accept or ask for help in this period is it something to do with the fact that you might feel well if I ask for help are they going to question if I'm a good mom and if I'm able for this Mm-hmm. <laughs> because I would imagine that that can come up from time to time. It's that superwoman syndrome. No, I'm fine. I can do it all myself. It's grand. Mm. So do, yeah. you, do you find that a lot with the women you're working with? Uh, I do. Yes. It's, I would say it's one of the biggest hurdles that we encounter. And again, understanding the, the, the root of that, it's because we've been told since we were little girls that we can do anything we want. We can do it on our own. We can do everything, which is a great result of, of the first few waves of feminism. But it, when we bring motherhood into the equation, we can't do everything. We can do anything. We can be an astronaut. We can do whatever. But we can't do that while breastfeeding a baby, you know, at the same time. We need to wait or do it before. We can't do it all at the same time. But the messaging is still out there that, you know, look, we can do everything. And, you know, even the ads that we see are, you know, with our period skydiving. And, you know, we, we never have to stop. We never have to listen to what's going on in our bodies because we can override everything and keep going on our own and get to the top. And so that's what so many of the women that I work with and that I experience myself, that's the mindset that we're going into motherhood with because that's the messaging that we've had. And then we hit a space where everything changes, the rules change, our needs change, and our ability to do everything changes, but the messaging is so other than that. So yeah, asking for help is a huge one. Like fear rises in people's throats when we do this part of the, the course that I teach. You know, it's like, I could never, you know, I would owe somebody something and we'd be in a, in, in a, you know, I'd owe them something is a big thing. Or yeah, I'd be seen as a, a bad mom. I should, there's the should again. I should be able to do this all on my own. I wouldn't want the Irish thing, which isn't Irish, just I can tell you because I work with people all over the world. But, you know, I, you know, I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't want to put them out. <laughs> you know, you're, you're, you have your own thing. I wouldn't want to put you out. You know, it's too much. And those little things, like I had one patient I, or one um, woman I worked with, and she, she got to the point where she had said, okay, I can say yes to being offered things, but everybody brought her a cake. So she had <laughs> 15 cakes and, you know, she's like, I can't eat any more cake. I'm, I'm, you know, and so it's, you know, that thing of being able to say, gosh, thank you so much for bringing me a cake and a hamper of, of biscuits. But what I would really love is, a stew or or whatever it is and it's that piece that I when you start a few things I suppose when you start to look at cultures around the world I experienced it in Germany mm. where we have a thing called Wochenbed which is weeks in bed and um, which everybody does so you know oh she's doing her Wochenbed which is 40 days in the house and around the house and your fourth trimester so friends work colleagues whoever it is brings you food for that time and they bring the food they don't stay for a cup of tea they take the bins out and they're gone 
and everybody does that for you and then you do that for the next person. And it grounds us then in this beautiful community of support. It doesn't put people out. It does the opposite. It really begins to weave this gorgeous network and seeing, I think, the other thing to which is hard and it's awkward and it's not easy always, is that we get to see when we show a little bit of vulnerability, when we open the door with our boobs hanging out covered in breast milk, having not washed in three days, and we say, <laughs> I'm so tired and thank you so much for this soup. It means the world to me. And we have that level of human connection. That person then knows how much it means to you. They feel rewarded by it. And they know that they can ask for support at a later date. It's not next week that you need to send them a gift. It's, you know, when they have their baby or when they need to go to the dentist and you can mind their toddler, whatever it is, you begin to weave a village that we don't have and that it's our job to build because our society has forgotten it. So I, I can't put more emphasis on working through those blocks in yourself it leads to great things that you don't even imagine, to far more than a bowl of soup. But even if you just get a bowl of soup out of it, it's great. And and, and just on, kind of on on one of the last things I want to kind of talk to you um, about, which is, which kind of does, I, I see a lot of it, um, but, you know, the fourth trimester can be kind of a very challenging time in another way, which would be kind of shifting the dynamics of, you know, maybe your relationship with your partner. Because obviously everything, the focus becomes about the baby, which is the most natural thing in the world. But sometimes when a relationship takes a backseat for too long, obviously the connection could maybe give way to conflict or hurt feelings or lost emotional intimacy. Like, does this come up as part of this, you know, the work you do in Nua Nua in terms of like helping moms kind of navigate this? Because Again, it's like another layer of pressure. It's like, you know, you keep the baby alive, but then also your relationship alive. How do you kind of navigate that? Or what sort of advice would you give to mums to really kind of feel a little bit kind of relaxed about that and, and not feel the pressure? Mm, if that makes sense. It, yeah, absolutely. I, it's, a, it's a huge area and, and one that's really, it's such a great question because I don't think it's touched on enough. If there's mothers listening who are, Yet to give birth, the best thing is to sit down and talk about all of this before baby comes along. Talk about your expectations for this because they might be very different to what you had thought, you know, in your partner. What the responsibilities are going to be for both of you and what your anxieties are. You know, I'm afraid of not getting enough sleep. I'm afraid that I'm going to lose my agency and sovereignty because I'm not going to be working or you know I'm afraid of you know you going back to work and me being left on my own with a baby you know whatever it is the father is afraid of you know losing intimacy with the wife he's afraid because he doesn't know what to do because you've done all this research and you've done you know a breastfeeding course and you've done a hypnobirthing course and you've got a, a, a birth list and a hospital list and I'm just along for the ride but I don't know what to do and I'm nervous about you know whatever those things are to just sit down and talk about them because very soon they can become 
people on two sides of a fence and you add sleep deprivation and a baby that interrupts you every 20 seconds and all of those things to the mix and it it, it gets really tough to, to to work through those so just setting a framework for dialogue things will change what you expect won't be what happens anyway you'll get a baby that sleeps through the night or never sleeps or whatever you think you're going to have you probably have the opposite <laughs> but the lines of communication are open you know the lines of communication are open I suppose so in many ways it's about me remembering that you're a team um, and when we're in it it can be really hard because there's so many frustrations you know I know how to do all of this and when I can't hand it over to my partner because when he does it he does it the wrong way and the baby doesn't get a feed on time and then he's really tired for the rest of the day and then he doesn't have a nap and that screws up my night so what's the point you know and that's I speak from personal experience and knowing working with so many women I hear my own experience reflected back so there's that but if we can understand (laughs) you hear that a lot (laughs) so understanding (laughs) from from both sides and having a little bit of compassion for both I suppose so part of it is we are conditioned to be that caregiver and we have that really intimate relationship with that baby. And very often the husband or the partner, if it's male or female, there's one that's going to be the breadwinner very lightly and will go back to work. And so it's important to say no matter what the sex of the partner is, there's going to be a masculine and a feminine type energy and, and role play going on there. Mm. <laughs> I suppose just, yeah, like I said, trying to remember that you're both a team and and sitting down and saying, listen, this is really challenging for me. And knowing that there's a possibility, like we spoke about the hyper everything earlier in, in the call and, you know, this hyper vigilance that we have around the environment and how everything should be done and needs to be done that often the, the, the husband and the part or the partner doesn't have an in on and it leads to so much frustration so to really trying to to allow them in to the space in a way that feels comfortable for you um, and then also having them understand your journey and what you're going through so perhaps saying you know I have a, a matrescence a free download that you can go onto my website and listen to this three-part audio guide to matrescence it's it's aimed at women but you know get your husband get your partner get your your support people to listen to that and say this is my journey and this is what I'm going through and you're most likely going through your transition as well and and the remembering why you're with that person and remembering that we're both going through something really tough and and speaking from there but if there's any way that you can have those lines of communication open, even if it's your second or third child, sit down and go, listen, I was really anxious about this before. Yeah. And also the final thing I'd say is, is, is look at what are your regulators and what are your stressors? So, you know, it really stresses me when I don't have a shower in the morning. I feel like a different person. Can you support me in doing that? And the same for your partner. It really stresses him if or her if they don't, get a run three times a week Mm -hmm. so how do I support you to do that so that when you come back you're regulated you're balanced and you can contribute in a way that you're coming from a more regulated you know parasympathetic nervous system space. Leila like I literally this is so fascinating for me I could sit here all day and I know you know obviously we don't have all day to talk about but this is such 
fascinating, kind of interesting topic. Um, the last question that I would have, Leila, that I ask all my guests on the podcast, and it's, and it's basically, it's just a simple one. Looking back now and you've done the journey, but if you're talking to a new mother, what would be the one piece of advice you'd give them? So just one kind of pearl of wisdom that you pass on. I think if I was to speak to myself back 10 years ago, I would tell myself that I'm meant to change and that it's okay that I'm changing and that it's okay that things feel murky, that they feel soupy, that I feel unsure for a while and that that's part of a a transition to a, a really empowering and beautiful new space. But it's okay that everything doesn't feel like it did before for a while and that this is something called my matrescence and that it's if I reach out and look for connection and community and support with others, I will navigate it, um, you know, in a really beneficial way rather than a, a destructive way. So I suppose it's about connection to, to others and knowing that I'm going to shift and change for me would have been would have been a, a wonderful thing to have of known back then. All these new moms listening to this podcast are going to get that lovely mm. pearl of wisdom. So um, yeah. thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for that. Um, Leila, I, I, and I did mention new and new your website, but um, for people who want to maybe connect with you or learn more from you. So, you know, what's your Instagram my Instagram handle is Nuanua online and my website is nuanua.com. Brilliant, brilliant. What we'll do is we'll um, include all those in the show notes and definitely I would check out the website, connect with Leila, join the community. I think you certainly wouldn't regret it anyway. Um, but look, I think you're doing amazing work and Leila, it's been an absolute pleasure to get to talk to you today. Likewise, likewise. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to Karen Conversations. Get lots more help, advice and information on our Care Plus Baby Club. It's easy and free to join. Just click the link in the show notes on your podcast player right now. Join us on the next podcast where we explore all things breastfeeding. To get it automatically, just click the follow button on your player right now. Care and Conversations is produced by DustPod.io and brought to you by Care Plus Pharmacy with outlets right across Ireland. Find your nearest Care Plus Pharmacy at careplus.ie. Until next time, from all the Care Plus Pharmacy team, thank you for listening.